0: We're going to continue talking about shame tonight. And one of our sisters came in tonight and she said, I went home and I read all the devotionals about shame. And then next week we're talking about guilt. And she just stooped a little lower every time she mentioned one of those. But uh, hopefully we talk about shame and guilt, not in ways that burden us and cause us to be stooped with a heavy load, but in ways that liberate us and free us. Because as we said this morning, God wants us to certainly feel the shame of our sin, but he wants us to take that shame and lay it at the foot of the cross. Jesus is the one, as we said this morning, that bears our shame in his body on the tree. So we're going to continue to dig into this topic tonight. And I mentioned this morning that In so many words, I said our understanding of the gospel is diminished. It's less than what it can be if we don't have a good grasp of shame. And that's a struggle for us because as we talked about this morning, we are not primarily a shame honor based culture. Uh, We live in more of a guilt innocence based culture. Now, there's not exclusively shame-based or exclusively guilt-based cultures, but we have difficulty identifying with those who live in places like the Middle East or the Far East or North Africa who operate under this paradigm of shame and honor. So we tried to come to a better understanding of that this morning. And we learned that both guilt and shame help us to understand how we are affected by sin. And we've got the guilt thing pretty well down, and we seem to understand that well, how that affects us in terms of our sinfulness. But the shame is something that, well, at least I have room to grow in my understanding. We talked about how guilt, just to to recap some of what we said, guilt is that internal sense that we have broken God's law, that we have wronged, uh, that, that we have erred. Uh, that we have failed morally. We have strayed from God's will. But shame is similar to that, and yet different in that it is more of an external sense of dishonoring God. We know that our relationship with God has been broken. And so shame is more of an external experience, whereas guilt more of an internal experience. And both forgiveness or the innocence that we experience from the cross and the honor that is bestowed upon us help us to understand the nature of God's gracious work in our lives. And again, we, we get the, the innocence side of it that you know Christ bears our guilt on the cross so that God can proclaim us innocent. But I have room to grow in understanding the fact that He also bears my shame so that I can receive honor. From God so that I can again be bestowed with honor I can move from dishonor back to honor and the story that we're going to look at tonight and I teased it out this morning is the story of the prodigal son or the lost son from Luke chapter 15 so I want you to grab a Bible and we're going to go through this story tonight and look at it from sort of a different angle from a shame honor perspective Now, this story, this parable that Jesus tells, uses both guilt and shame to help us understand the gospel uh, in a better way. So we're going to dig in tonight and hopefully we will see some things in this parable that we have not seen before. Hopefully we will notice uh, some things and it will illuminate and it will enlarge. Uh, our view of the gospel and our appreciation for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So let's dig in. We're going to start where Larry began with his reading in verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So, Father, go ahead and give me my share of the inheritance. Go ahead and hand it over. I know that you are not yet deceased, but I am ready for it now. And so, he divided his property between them, between his sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Or as one translation says, prodigal living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So let's... Consider the journey of this young man so far. He had lived a great life with his family, his father, and his brother. But when he received the inheritance prematurely from his father, he went and he squandered it all on reckless living. And we see this slide from where we begin in verse 11 to where we end up, or where this young man ends up in verse 16. Truly, he has slid to the depths. Of existence here. And certainly he is incurring guilt. From reckless living. From knowing that he has abandoned. uh, The the commands of his father. The will of his father. And so guilt is growing within his heart. Because he knows how far he has gone from. The foundation that was laid in his home. But there is also shame. Shame that is growing here, in addition to guilt. Shame from dishonoring his father and his family. And he really reaches the pits of shame when he's working with those pigs, animals that any Jew would avoid because they were unclean. And so the son is, uh, shame is, is building up in his life. Not only guilt, but the shame. Of dishonoring his father and his family to the point that he is, his job is to feed an unclean animal, the pig. Uh, And not only that, he longs to eat what they're eating. And so the shame here is growing as we see the journey of this young man from living a storied life with his family to longing to eat what those unclean animals were eating in verse 16. But let's keep going here, verse 17. But when he came to himself, another way of saying, when he finally came to his senses, when he had that aha moment, and he knew what he needed to do, and he knew that his life was not what it ought to be, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So the son, as he is rehearsing what he will say when he goes back home and he's face to face with his dad, he surmises that, you know, dad, he's not going to accept me back as family. As a son. But maybe, just maybe, if I go to him and if I confess my sins, and if I humble myself before him, and if I say, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but please, could I come back into the house and you can just treat me as a servant? Maybe, just maybe, he will accept me back in and I can be viewed as the hired help. And I'll at least have a hot meal to enjoy. Uh, Instead of eating what these pigs are eating. So in other words, the son is thinking, maybe if I confess my sins, I can receive forgiveness for my guilt. But I've done far too much damage to my family's honor for the shame to be removed. So maybe I can get rid of this guilt from knowing that I have messed up, I've broken the rules, I've broken my father's will... But there's no way that my father is going to honor me after I have shamed him like I have. There's no way this shame that is built up is is ever going to be removed. Uh, I I have simply dishonored the family name far too much for that to be a possibility. So I'm just going to go back, and I don't expect to be treated as a son, but, but a hired servant, that would be better than my lifestyle, feeding these pigs. But let's look what happens here when he goes back home. And you already know the story. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And I have that verse underlined because it's my favorite verse of the parable. Is it yours? While he was still a long way off, the father sees him from the front porch and he feels compassion and he runs after him. He doesn't wait for him to get to the house. He runs to him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. And the son said, this is exactly the speech that he rehearsed, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But it seems that the father does not even let him finish the speech. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring in his hand, shoes on his feet, And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. So this father here, he could have forgiven his boy. He could have cleansed him of any guilt that he had incurred. And then, as the son was requesting, he could have made him a servant. That's what the son is expecting happen, to go home and hopefully be guilt free. But the father, he goes well beyond what is expected here. Not only is the boy's guilt removed when the father grants forgiveness, the boy's shame is removed. And he is restored to a place of honor as a son. It seems almost that he is being reinstated as a member of the family, this is like a royal coronation. He says, "Bring him, bring the best robe and put it on him, and a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet." And remember what we talked about this morning: to to be honored, uh, to avoid shame, you had to be clothed, and and the head and the um and and the face; those were the parts of the body that represented. Uh, honor and here we have the father kissing his son's cheek and he's placing a robe over his shoulders and he's planning a feast in in honor of his son who was lost but is now found and so it's not just that the guilt is wiped away so is the shame and the father is not just forgiving his son he is honoring his son he's lifting him up again and reinstating him as part of the family it's remarkable what this father does. And it shows us that when the son comes home, it's not just the guilt that is removed, but also the shame. Now, let's keep reading here. We would expect this parable, and Jesus' first listeners probably expected this parable to end at verse 24. Because if it ends at verse 24, it sounds very much like the parables that precede it. The parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. How do those parables end? They end when the lost thing is found. And there's rejoicing. There's a party because what was lost is now found. The sheep comes back and, and there's joy. The coin is located and everybody's invited over for a party. Well, here we've got the party. They began to celebrate the end, right? But It's not the end. And that leads me to believe that this parable at its, at its center is really not about the father. It's not about the young son. It's about that older boy. It's about the older son's attitude toward the younger son. Because we've got, this, we've got this twist. We've got this surprise ending. And I think Jesus' first listeners would have been shocked when Jesus kept going in verse 25. Let's read. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what's going on up there? And he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But how does the brother feel about that? In verse 28. He was angry. And he refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Read between the lines like he did. Yet, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You didn't even give me a young goat. You've given him the fattened calf. I didn't even get a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf him and he said to him son you are always with me and all that is mine is yours it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found now the text here it doesn't indicate that the older son is angry that his father forgives his brother maybe he's okay with that. He's all right with the father granting forgiveness to his brother, wiping away the guilt that his brother incurred, maybe letting him back in the household. He's angry, it seems, because his brother is shown honor despite bringing shame upon the family, upon his father, upon the family name, despite dishonoring the family by his Reckless living by the life choices that he's made. And he's upset also that he, who has never brought shame on the family, who's never broken one of the rules, who's never disobeyed, he's never been honored like this, with a party like this, with a celebration such as this. But his father reminds him that such a reception is fitting for one who is lost but is now found. When the boy comes home, it's not just that his guilt is wiped away. It's not just that he is forgiven. It's that his shame, the shame that he built up by his own poor choices, the shame that he brought upon his father and his family, that also is removed when this boy is reinstated as a son, as a part of the family. And he's honored in the most lavish way imaginable. I think understanding this side of the story, not just this side of the prodigal son story, but this side of the gospel story, the shame honor side. I think understanding this helps us to see the lavishness, the extravagance of God's grace. You see, God... God could do for us what the son expected his father to do for him. And it would be enough. God could grant us forgiveness for our guilt. And he could leave it at that. And we could be received as part, part of his family. And that would be enough. That would be more than enough for God to forgive us of our sins, for God to wipe away our guilt. But God, just like the father in this story, he goes above and beyond. He goes well beyond those expectations. He honors us. He not, he not only forgives us and wipes away the guilt, he wipes away the shame. And he honors us as his sons and his daughters. We're part of his family now. And I learned that from places like Romans chapter 8. Would you turn there with me? Romans 8, starting at verse 15. Romans 8, Paul says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He's saying this to mostly Gentile believers like us, mostly non-Jews. You have received the spirit, the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, a term of great intimacy that you would Uh, use for your for your father father god that's the kind of spirit we've been given the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him so god just like the father in our story he goes He goes above and beyond. And He brings us into His family and He makes us His sons and daughters and fellow heirs with Christ. Just like this son is treated lavishly and extravagantly by the Father, so are we. You know, sadly, some folks glory in their shame. That's what Paul says when he's talking about enemies of the cross of Christ in a very well-known section. Chapter 3, verse 19 of Philippians. He says about these enemies, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. What does he mean by that? Glory in their shame. I think what he means is there are some folks in the world who celebrate the very things that they should be ashamed of. And we talked about that this morning. How we live in a culture that is in many ways shameless. People don't feel any shame about the things that they do or have done. Maybe even they glory in their shame. The things that they should be ashamed of, they celebrate in. But like the lost son, we are called to humble ourselves before our father. To run back home to confess our sins to Him and our shame to lay it at His feet. But unlike the lost son, unlike that prodigal, we don't have to wonder whether He's going to accept us back as children. We don't have to assume that when we come crawling back, God's just going to let us in as hired help. Because we know that we have been given a spirit of sonship That we have been made children of the most high and holy God. And He will receive us as such. If we humble ourselves before Him. If we confess our sins. We can know. That we'll be welcomed back. That not only will our guilt be wiped away. But so will our shame. That God is not only waiting to forgive us. He's waiting to honor us. So how blessed are we as children of God to follow a God who loves us so, who doesn't just let us sneak in the back door, but He invites us in the front door as His sons and daughters. And if you have not come before your heavenly Father and accepted the gift of life that He freely offers, I hope that you'll decide to do that tonight. There's somebody here who has not been washed of their sins who's who's not been baptized in order to receive the spirit wouldn't it be grand to end our day uh, by witnessing uh, a, a, a new believer a new child of god or if you're struggling in any way you need the prayers of this church family we invite you to come also as we stand and sing